When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepip.com using the code PODCAST15. Your body after you've had a baby is different. It looks different. It feels different. It may not even feel like yours right away. And our minds, well, they are practically rewired. The postpartum changes are often considered negatively or as something we must urgently correct. But how about we respect this journey, accept our feelings and allow our postpartum bodies and minds to become the strongest versions of ourselves instead of punishing them or outing them. Easier said than done, perhaps. In this week's Jet Guest, I am joined by Chloe Maidley, mum to her gorgeous baby girl Bodhi, personal trainer and best-selling author, to name just a few of her achievements. Now, having heard Chloe speak so honestly about the realities of pregnancy and postpartum change, I'm really looking forward to chatting some more real talk with her. So, Chloe, welcome. In fact, I'm going to be honest here. Welcome back, because (laughs) we had an awesome chat a few weeks ago, and I had a technological nightmare and lost our conversation. So I'm very grateful for you letting me steal you again. No, I'm so happy to be, we had such a good chat the first time around and because of Pip's advice kind of pushed me over the the edge and kind of supported me into sleep training my daughter, which I've now done. So I've come back with good news. Um, And and yeah, I mean, I I feel like we had such a good chat. I wanted to come back and I told Pip that this happens to everyone. My dad lost half a book on uh, on his computer. So it happens and we we are slaves to technology. (laughs) And that has made me feel, I mean, your poor dad. I cannot even imagine that feeling, but it has made me feel a little bit better. 
I think it was the first time it, he he turned around and he was like, okay, we're going to have to get a ghostwriter in because I just, can't, I can't do this. I can't let, and he had a bit of meltdown. And I think he started on the path with the ghostwriter and then ended up finishing it on his own again. But um, I just think that, yeah, that moment he definitely had. And for my dad to say that, just context, that's a very big deal. He's a massive mm. control freak. He doesn't even like the editing process. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, I was like, wow, you're really traumatized from this. But it's fine. We, we, we grieve and we move on, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, Chloe, I would be traumatized by losing half a blooming book. Like that is that is immense. That is immense. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, I'm delighted in a way. And when I messaged you, I was like, um, so it was so great to chat. Do you fancy doing it all again? And I'm really pleased I get to talk to you again, actually, because since we last spoke, Chloe, um, before we start talking about where you're at now and your birth, I just wanted to say how on earth are you managing the irritation of the media about you at the moment? Because as I was introducing you then, and all the amazing stuff that you have done and you've brought to <laughs> women's health, et cetera, et cetera, over the years, how annoying that you still got people introducing you under the name of your parents or your husband or as a model. And we all know that you're hot, but it doesn't mean that is how we introduce you. How it's, on earth are you managing this? It's so embarrassing because the thing is, is that like, I'm not, I'm not really, I used to do a lot of TV um, and I I walked away from that to pursue a career in health and fitness. I'm not really in the public eye anymore. Really the only reason that I am at this stage is because I am, you know, Rich and Judy's daughter and James Hustler's wife. And I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that my parents are who they are. And I'm proud that my husband is who he is. But that's not like, that doesn't define me. That I'm not like a statue born of their careers, like <laughs> never changing through history. I'm like, I actually have some pretty impressive, you know, achievements under my belt which I'm really proud of as well equally proud of and yeah my god they really have been they really annoy me sometimes so and and because obviously at the moment I'm doing a, a promotion for a few different things it means what you have to do is and and this is where it is a wonderful thing being my parents daughter it means that I get to have a quite big sound stage to go do an interview and promote something on quite a big stage that most people don't have so that is a huge benefit and I'm not blind to that at all but my god then when you talk to the actual print media like the kind of stuff that they write it's like so cringeworthy and like so inaccurate in terms of the context of the conversation and that's why I like doing podcasts because it's long form format there's context people can hear the conversation and it it flows and it makes sense and it's relatable when they just take out like a random soundbite you sound like a psychopath <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so yeah I'm um I'm definitely because I'm promoting a few things at the moment I'm kind of going going through the motions of like I don't know fatigue with the press but um but it's interesting how many people and I think it's a social media generation really see through it now I don't think it used to be like that yeah that's true I think there's been a lot more awareness and I think that comes with so many things like airbrushing of imagery as well as just words and what's being said I think we all have a a little bit of a skeptical eye hopefully most of us anyway when it comes to kind of media magazines etc now which is kind of refreshing and actually leads us beautifully into what we're talking about today because motherhood and the postpartum is exactly that isn't it it's something we need to have a bit of a skeptical eye about when we see these beautiful perfect images and things on social media um chloe your birth how old is Bodie now so she's exactly six months and two days now wow six months and two days ago she was born that's a that's mad isn't it it goes so quickly um talk to me about your birth okay so <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to preface the story by saying that I am not one of those people who's like um, mother earth, like everything needs to be natural. I'm really pro medical science. I'm like pro antibiotics. I'm not anti-vax and no, a- a- 
at all. No shade to anyone that's not like that, but that's just me. Um, and yet <laughs> throughout my whole pregnancy, I was like, I wanted to have my water birth with my gas and air. And that was how it was going to go. And I think most women, especially the women I've spoken to, if they're not elected C-section, that's the birth they want. Mm. And I was like, this is how it's going to go. And, and I kept saying, like, obviously, if I need a C-section, that will have to happen. And that's fine. But like deep, deep down inside, I had this little voice that was like, but that won't happen because <laughs> my birth is going to go to plan. And I was like, um, gunning for it. And then obviously I hit 40 weeks and then the days kept passing, kept passing. And then I think I got to 40 and five and the midwives brought me in and they were like, okay, listen, if you don't go into labor in the next few days, we're going to induce you. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not even having this conversation. Like, And this, again, this is so unlike me, but I was like, I'm not even having this conversation. I'm not even entertaining it. Um, and my midwife was called at this point Roisin and I was like I will come back in a few days and we'll carry on the conversation if I need to she was like all right then (laughs) so at home the next day I was 14 six and my waters broke in the middle of the night and I was like hallelujah I told them I knew I I was right I just had to be patient and you know we can come on to all this kind of kind of theory and hypothesis after but I was like I was right are they everyone was being impatient rushing me So there I was, like, happily waiting for my contractions to start. And 24 hours later, I was still waiting. And there were no contractions. And I was like, okay, then. I know what this means. This means I'm going to have to be induced because, obviously, your risk of infection at that point is is increasing. So I was like, okay. So I waited, really, till, like, the 11th hour. And then I called in and I was like, okay, um, my waters broke, like, nearly, nearly 24 hours ago. And they were like, come in. And I was like, okay went in and then they talked me through the hormonal drip and I I knew about um, induction but for some reason I'd completely skipped over the hormonal drip and so they were like we're going to give you the hormonal drip and I was like okay needs must needs must and then they were like and of course the epidural and I was like wait stop I was like why am I doing the epidural I don't understand this is like an induction like what and they were like because the contractions will come so thick and fast that you won't have a chance to like catch your breath and and go again and regain some strength before the next one um and it's really really hard so you really should have it with it and i went well what if i were to say no to the epidural and she looked at me she was like i'd say you're an idiot but okay it's your body and she's like okay then <laughs> I, love that. Yeah, I was like right well then i won't do it like i'll have it and i was like well you know what as long as it doesn't end in a c section I just don't want a C-section. And for so many reasons, my mum had all her kids by a C-section. After me, she got really bad postnatal depression. I think there was this like unconscious kind of link in my head with that. And I knew that the recovery was huge. Obviously, what I do for a living, not only on an aesthetic basis, but also a performance basis, the recovery is double the time. For me, it was almost triple. Um, and I was like, well, it just won't end in a C-section. I'll be fine. And then obviously, it's on the hormonal drip all night. And every time... Every time the contractions would really pick up, Bodhi's heart rate would drop. And I, I knew that that could happen with the drip anyway. Mm-hmm. It was happening pretty kind of consistently every time I had these big contractions and all the midwives would come running in and all the machines would get turned off. And there was one thing, and I kind of remember it in a bit of a haze. I don't know really what was going on, but I think there was a moment, I don't know. Anyway, there was a moment where one of the midwives actually went inside me and everyone was a bit scared I just basically decided to check out of the situation because it's horrific um and then it got we got to like eight o'clock in the morning I'd been on the drip all night and the obstetrician came in she said look her heart rate was dropping as a result of these contractions now it's just dropping we need to go in and get her I had a category two c-section I cried the whole way to theater I cried the whole way through oh. the operation I was like this is not what I wanted I was livid it was almost like decline everyone was rummaging around inside me and I was in hell 
And then they showed her to me and it was without a shadow of a doubt, like the best day of my whole life ever. And I would do the whole thing exactly the same all over again every day to keep getting that moment. And I have luckily not had any real birth trauma. I've had like inklings of like, you know, I guess a bit of shock and sadness about how it went, but I haven't had any real birth trauma. I haven't had any baby blues. I haven't had any postnatal depression. And actually I didn't have the birth I want and it was okay. I got through it and I'm okay since. And that's my story. Very long. (laughs) No, I love it. And actually when you were describing the moment that Bodhi was born, that gave me proper goosebumps because (laughs) when I talk to women about positive birth experiences and obviously I harp on about this all the time because it's at the heart of everything I do yeah what I try and describe it as is not what perhaps I feel like when you were in your third trimester planning for your birth you saw as a positive birth and that was that like you know the water birth with your gas and air almost like a spa-like experience right yeah I really try and encourage women that that is not what defines a positive birth a positive birth is that feeling you just described when Bodhi was passed to you And what we need to do is to start to bridge that gap. So yes, we have this environment that we'd really like to create, but if that doesn't happen, what tools and techniques, what can we have in place so that when our babies are passed to us, we still feel that incredible sense of positivity, empowerment, like we have just done the most incredible thing and we can take on the world. How do we make sure we we kind of get there? And I just wonder in terms of your birth prep, Chloe, what did that look like? Did you think about, okay, like cesarean section is plan Z for me, but how am I going to have a positive one? Should it crop up? Or were you like, it's just not going to happen. I'm ignoring anything that says cesarean section. Both. It was really interesting. Well, first of all, read the positive birth. Do you know what it was? First of all, that James was with me and he was holding my head and he was talking to me the whole time. And that was like my lifeline emotionally throughout mm. it, even hysterically crying. It was still like my, my, my strength. And I really, can I just say anyone listening who had a baby in the pandemic, I just especially a first baby especially an emergency c-section first baby I just am in awe of you and you're incredible I'm sending you massive love um and secondly when when the obstetrician saw Bodhi she said the umbilical cord was wrapped so tightly around her neck and all of her body that's why she couldn't come out and as soon as I had a reason why I needed the c-section like I needed it she wasn't coming out vaginally I let go of everything and I was like oh so I wish I'd been a bit more preemptive mentally of that like if it happens it's because it genuinely has to happen like there's not another option um but yes and no your question I very much was like if I have a c-section you know James is going to be with me I'm going to ask them if if you know how bright does the lighting have to be obviously it's surgery but how kind of invasive does that have to be and you know, like, you know, can I, I I, I had a, a music list, but I wasn't, sometimes when I, when I'm trying to stay calm, music can go the other way with me. I can be like, yeah. I was a bit yeah, like yeah, it's got to be the right vibe. Yeah. And I was definitely thinking about it, but still in my mind, I kind of would get to like the end of a path and then I'd be like, oh yeah, no, but it's not going to happen. And I'd stop. And I never really entrenched myself in that. And like I said, what I think would have been very beneficial re my birth prep and it not going to plan and me not feeling the way I felt would have been the real, real understanding of all the reasons why she might not want to come out vaginally and I might have to have her out surgically. And the dangers of what if if that wasn't an option, how bad that would be. Like and and I think that would have probably gone a long way. But I, like I say, I just kind of kept coming up short in my head, analyzing it. It's funny though, isn't it? Because your mind really is different when you're growing a human. It's so, so different. And and I think you're obviously very involved in the media and have a presence on social media, Chloe, which is a blessing in some ways, but also a curse because the internet can open up a complete rabbit warren of conflicting information, which 
at best really can be really disempowering to us. And you'll appreciate this from the fitness world because it's very similar. Um, But actually at worst, especially when it comes to pregnancy and birth, it can be really dangerous. And if you've, you know, read one thing and then you cling on to that because you feel this is a really important point for you and your baby, it can make our job, especially as midwives and, and my obstetric colleagues, really challenging when it comes to birth, when someone has seen this thing online that's really important to them, but actually is not backed up by evidence. Or even if it is, it isn't specific to them and their individual circumstances. And you must see this all the time in the fitness injury uh, in industry. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I started following you. And I love you. And I'm sure you know, and anyone who follows Pip and sees my comments, like, there's a lot of opinion especially when it comes to health and fitness the female body even body image even going as far kind of related to but not necessarily about the physicality of what I do body image and especially and we all know this pregnancy and childbirth and just being a mum yeah there's so much opinion there's so much loud opinion and some of it is and it's just that it's just one woman or one small group of women's opinion um what we're really lacking in terms of I suppose really sexy sound bites that people love is the educated, experienced opinion, which obviously Pip has. And Pip, you do a great job of really trying to make it clickbaity and really trying. You know, remember when clickbait was a bad word? It's what we need now. Like we need to make things clickbaity to get people involved so that they can actually <clears throat> be aware of the broad spectrum of possibility in terms of pregnancy, childbirth, you know, even, even parenting. Um from an educated, experienced professional and and mother as well, which is another great string to your bow in terms of what you do, um, as opposed to just kind of, you know, opinion, which is lovely and everyone should have an opinion and that everyone's opinion should be respected and that's fine. But it's absolutely not an educational tool, someone's opinion of what you should do. And I found that, you know, with myself and Pip and I talked about this in our first recording, and I think it's probably one thing that it's not that we don't disagree on it, it's that maybe we have we have different experiences with it. I felt like with my childbirth prep and my antenatal and my hypnobirthing, the focus was way too much on me and my right to have this amazing experience. And in my experience, and again, opinion, this is just me, okay? <laughs> this is not apply to everyone. Um in my in my experience of it, there was not nearly enough focus on what my baby might need. Hence, me being so dog headed and pig headed, uh, dogged sorry, and pig headed uh, about about how it was going to go and actually what she needed. Um, and in the last recording, and Pip, I think you should pick up on this now because it still it needs to be spoken from your point of view as well. Mm. Maybe there's not enough stuff on the mother. And maybe it's actually that I'm quite a privileged person in that I could go to hypnobirthing and it did go to antenatal. I actually got that experience and that's not the experience for everyone. So, I mean, but what, what do you think about it, Pip? Yeah, it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because it is really important that at the center of it, there is a woman and there is a mother. And we want to, of course, support that woman to make informed choices. And that doesn't mean that the choice that I feel as a midwife is the correct choice. That may not be what what that woman feels is the right choice for her. And that is absolutely fine. What's really key is that it's informed. And the difficulty we have is that a baby inside the womb, if you like, has no rights. So 
it's all we could we could have said to you chloe you know we're really really concerned about bodhi and actually we're worried that her heart might stop beating if we carry on with this labor for another two three four hours like your gut instinct may have at some point suggested but if you said that's fine i don't mind then we go okay you have to have made that informed decision so i always say to women you know you can give you can have a plant cesarean you can give birth in the middle of the ocean with dolphins with no medical intervention at all i really really don't mind but we have to have informed decision-making. And what worries me and what scares me in the world that we currently live in is people may feel they're making an informed decision because they've seen this snippet of information, but actually they haven't then had a conversation with their healthcare providers as to, but what's going on in my individual pregnancy, my individual baby, and what does that look like for us? Because it's very easy to generalize. so yes, it's making sure that we have all of that information. We understand the pros, the cons, the risks, the benefits for both us and our baby. And that ultimately we allow women to have a safe birth, but that does fill them with that positivity and that empowerment that you obviously did have in the end when you yeah. birthed Bodhi. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And you know, it's so funny with the, your baby has no, no human rights thing. I didn't know this. So I, my best friend's little sister is a midwife and I, I train her as well. She's a client of mine. And she, um, and I was like with her one day and I was like, yeah, James's biggest fear is that they're going to say like, do we save your wife or the baby? Oh gosh. And she laughed and she went, where, she was like, where did he get this from like fiction? And I was like, well, I don't know. Does that not happen? She was like, no. She was like, I hate to tell you. She's like, the baby doesn't have any human rights. She was like, if we have to save someone, we're saving you. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. She was like, it's best not to analyze it. But I just didn't even know. <laughs> and I was like, where did this even come from? Anyway, I found that really funny. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? it? But as soon as they're born, they do have rights. So then it all changes. But that's a whole that's a, that's a whole other story. And um, Chloe, the other thing I wanted to touch on with you is you have spoken quite openly about pre-Bodhi, not feeling that you really wanted children in your future. Um, and did that worry you? Did it worry you when you were then pregnant? And you were like, oh, this is a, a bit of a shift in the old mindset. Yeah, you know what? I, I my if anyone reads the history of me talking about getting pregnant having a baby wanting a baby they're going to be like this is so contradictory because it is because it was and that's that's okay <laughs> we'll put it out there in like every context it's okay to change your mind <laughs> it's our prerogative of, as women to change yeah our mind. <laughs> it's okay and like that's you know you don't need to feel you know I don't know I feel like I was almost I had one really weird person on Instagram being like it doesn't make any sense she used to say like almost angry with me and I was like I'm allowed to change my mind woman back off <laughs> yeah and what the hell has it got to do with you anyway <laughs> these people honestly I'm like I just can't imagine ever doing that anyway so let's move on from that um I honestly didn't think I wanted kids I had I uh 11 12 11 or 12 ish years ago now I found weightlifting it sounds ridiculous but I fell madly in love with it in one session I was like this is what I want to do uh I then realized that I desperately wanted to be a personal trainer um and more specifically a weightlifting coach for women specifically um it just so needed so needed <laughs> It changed my life. It changed my, I was, my mental health was not in a good place and my, neither was my body, although I didn't really care or care about need that at the time, but still, um, and it changed my life and I wanted to just pay it forward. And I just, that was all I wanted to do. So, um, 
at some point after a few years, I really started having huge success on not on a face-to-face client level, but also online with my internet presence. And then I started having books and podcasts and all of them started to do really well. And as someone who'd never really had much success and was very much known as Rich and Judy's daughter, and like I say, not very mentally healthy, my life just skyrocketed into a wonderful place. And a lot of the women I know who are having babies younger didn't really have that. And would openly say to me, like, I don't really have that focus. Like, I want to have a baby. I want to be a mother. That's what I want. And I wasn't that. And I was like, fine. And then as I started getting older, like I say, my career started taking off and travel. I started to have the financial means to go to hotels I wanted to go to and stay there for a week, which is such a luxury as a as an adult. You know, you're not you're you're not being taken on, on holiday with your parents anymore, really scrambling to save. Like, just my life was great. And I was like, this is what I want. I don't think I want kids. And then... And then I, I, James and I got married. He went in, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I came off contraception quite naturally. Like I, I can't remember why, but for some reason I wanted, I think I was on the coil. I had the coil in and I got it removed. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, it, like I said, I didn't really want kids, but neither was I like really super anti. I didn't really think yeah. about it too much. I wasn't paying too much attention to it. So I, I didn't, I came off contraception and then like a year passed. And I, I swear to God, it sounds like, a, 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 I don't know, like I'm telling a silly story, but it genuinely happened. I woke up in the in the dead of the night having a complete panic. Like, oh, my God, I haven't been on contraception for a year and I'm not pregnant. Isn't this when they tell you you have to go to a fertility doctor? I was like, oh, my God, obviously not pulling into like my brain the fact that James and I were never trying. And so obviously at that point in your 30s, like, it's quite hard to get pregnant. <laughs> I was like, oh, started freaking out. Um, Went to my gynecologist and he was like, you need to, you know, have said, told me about, you know, the ovulation period and da da da. Gave that a few months again, nothing was happening. Carried on freaking out. Went back to my gynecologist and he was like, um, I want you, other than when you're actually menstruating, to have sex throughout through all your cycles. You <laughs> just need more sex, yeah, Chloe. More sex, sex follicular, <laughs> lunar, ovulation, all of it. Do it. And I was like, right. <laughs> Come on, James. You're in. I swear to God, within two months, and ironically, just when my dad left, had left the jungle or the castle, I was pregnant. And I found out I was pregnant. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was just such a lovely, lovely, lovely surprise. And um, and then as you say, in my third trimester, I I kind of regressed. And I don't know what happened in my third trimester. My brain went in a completely different direction mm. to how it had been for the rest of my pregnancy. And I started to panic. Um, and I was genuinely scared that I'd regret it all the time. Mm. Oh my God, what have I done? Um, and it, as it turns out, like I say, the moment that Bodhi was handed to me and every moment since, it's been the best decision I've ever made in my life. And thank God. <laughs> thank God for that. It's a little bit difficult to reverse at the moment that a baby's passed you post-cesarean section, have to confess. Um, I'm glad for the women there. Like, I listened to one woman on Radio 4 the other day. She's like, a, I think she's a surgeon. And she she basically was being really honest. And she was like, I regret having my child. She was like, and I love him. And I would die for him. But I had a better life before. And I'd quite like it back. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like, this is yeah. horrific. That's really hard, isn't it? Really hard. So you obviously had this complete brain shift and I wonder whether that removal of the contraception was there something like subconsciously hormonally that wasn't at the forefront that was going on with you but what about James in that for you to like have had kind of probably had conversations of like children weren't really on the radar and then to literally wake up like I need to be pregnant and I need to be pregnant now did you, you know with that okay <laughs> Yeah, you know what, James was very much, and this really scared me at first, but I suppose it could have been worse, 
James is very much from the beginning, like, whatever you want, we'll do it. Like, I don't care. Like, he wasn't, he's not, you know. Happy he's, wife, happy life. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's not like, he's my brother, for example, is really like paternal man. He wants children. He loved, he walks into a room of children and before you know it, he's the entertainer for the day. And he uh, loves, he wouldn't change it for the world. Whereas I'm like, okay, that's five minutes. Where's my wine? And I'm like, done. <laughs> he loved it. And, and James isn't like that. And neither am I, to be fair. James is very much like, Look, I, I think I, I think it could be an amazing thing that would make me the happiest man in the world. I equally really like my life. I just don't care. And I think in the beginning, that probably is the reason why I wasn't really that pushing for it or really overthinking it. I wasn't overly invested in it. Yeah. Um, he was like that. I was like, well, my options are open, whatever. When I started pushing to have a baby, he he I think he did. He was a bit like. I think, you know, there were times when I was like, can you come home from this DJ gig so that we can have sex? And I think he was a bit like, this is you that wants this, not me. Please stop encroaching on my life and making me have sex with you. <laughs> I mean, that is, for a lot of men, Chloe, that is the dream, you know, that message. Yeah, but James and I have been together eight years now. And when you're trying for a baby, like, I mean, it's not like it was in the first four years. Yeah. So, so I'm like, so, so I think he was a bit like, oh, like kind of slogging through it a bit. And and he was fantastic when I was pregnant. No, not in the third trimester, actually. In the third trimester, he got really busy. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew that he was about to take a few weeks off for the baby. So he went with it. And I was like, no, because I went through my weird mental health thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout the pregnancy, he was very present, very there. Throughout the childbirth, he was honestly like my a- actual angel amongst us and has been an incredible father ever since. Um, and I, and it's so, especially now Bodhi's smiling and laughing and interacting. Now he's obsessed with her she's like giving back which is such a magical shift isn't it yeah it is and for men as well I think men James just is like completely in the I would say in the last few weeks more than anything just like really imprinted with her which is amazing um but yeah I think I think he was very conflicted by it if 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 he was to be honest I think he was quite conflicted by the whole thing for quite a while which which is totally understandable isn't it like it's such a big big shift in your lifestyles and things um going back to what you said about the third trimester Chloe and that kind of all of a sudden shift that you had, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What's happened to my body? What on earth is my life going to turn into? Um, I think lots and lots of women listening will totally resonate with that. And actually, I feel I had probably a milder version of what you experienced because I remember thinking I loved being pregnant. I loved my pregnant body. And I remember thinking, gosh, have I got pregnant to be pregnant or have I got pregnant because I want a baby I'm not yeah. actually sure and I yeah. think in that third trimester it's really on you isn't it you're suddenly like preparing a nursery and you know buying a pram and all this kind of stuff and it's like that real realization of oh this stage is going to end and then I'm going to have this human to look after and what on earth is my life going to look like it's such a massive unknown isn't it this episode is brought to you by Snapple Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you say that because I actually felt really alone in it. I think I felt like I was this weird, especially because I'd had comparatively such a great second, first and second trimester. I <clears throat> felt really kind of guilty and freaked out, like panicked mm. that I was definitely, you know, definitely starting to think, holy shit, what if I've made the wrong 
wrong decision here. And <clears throat> it's really nice to know to hear you say your experience and to know that it is quite common because I felt I already it was kind of I suppose it was the first inklings of me feeling like a bad mother, um, which now have happened many times. <laughs> but that now was it's just, just the normal daily daily internal conversation. And now literally, we have a part time <laughs> nanny, and I said bye to Bodie this morning, and I immediately burst out crying. And I was like, I feel so guilty. James is like, get a grip. He spent all weekend without relax. Um, but I know, I, and and it was it was really it was really strange. My mental health definitely took a strange turn. I felt very isolated, very alone, quite depressed, um, and and quite quite freaked out. And I also don't think it helped that at the time James and I were still living in the Midlands, so I was hours away from my all my friends mm-hmm. and family. Whereas now, if I have a bad day, which you know it happens. Um, you know, my mental health has always been something I've really tried to keep an eye on and keep track of, especially now Bodhi's here. Yeah. Um, and if I have a bad day, I just literally get in the car and go to my parents. And I just being in my family home with my mum and dad, who are also obsessed with Bodhi, just and I catch my breath again. I come back down to earth and I kind of reconnect with everything I love about my life. And and just that has been so helpful. So, yeah, again, like anyone who's who's kind of pregnant or having a baby or far away from their friends and family, like, just try and get the best support network around you that you can possibly scramble together because it really goes such a long way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, do it. And I really felt that, Chloe, in my fourth trimester. So our family aren't near. Um, and my husband works Monday to Saturday. So I nope. was like, hmm, what hmm. am I gonna do? And it was really hard. And I definitely felt that loneliness, even though I had loads of friends that I could message, but they weren't around the corner. And lots of my friends have either got older children or they haven't had children yet. We were kind of like in that middle ground. Um, So there was no one that really got where I was at at that moment. And since then I've started to try and make like in the, we've been a little village, so we're not even near lots of things. And I've tried to make little village mums groups and things. Cause I'm like, I don't want anyone else to feel that way because actually there are so many mums locked inside their house feeling that way that we need to connect with each other, be that in person or virtually. Just knowing someone else is seeing every single hour in during the night breastfeeding was a game changer for me. Yeah, yeah. I was so lucky in that two of my best friends were pregnant at the same time. And I didn't know, like, you talk about, like, just being thrown in at the deep end, finding out I was pregnant. Like, I was like, what? do I do now who do I go to who do I speak to like and thank god for them otherwise I I don't know I mean I probably would have had babe Bodhi in the bath like <laughs> with, with her like what do I do like just even the term like self-referral I was like what I do what, what now I do what yeah. I peed on a stick now it happens it was really like I was like oh my god and even still to this day even now Bodhi sits on I'm like what if I'm missing something like what if there's something I should be doing that I'm not doing like the fact that I know about her vitamins and stuff now and I'm like well what what if you just miss that piece of information? Like, it's never ending. But yeah, I'm, honestly, this is, why, this is why like people like you, Pip, are just so needed and appreciated on social media. And the content you put out is so brilliant. And like I say, educated, informed and experienced, not just like, I had a baby. Here's why I believe you should birth on the beach. It's like, <laughs> yes. you're not helping me. Oh, I love it. And that is why I try and do what I do close. That's really appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. Um, because as you know, it's a beast and it can be a really cruel place to be in as well. So we have yeah. to just keep plowing on and sometimes closing our ears to everything we're hearing. Yeah. Um, postpartum self, Chloe. Now, I think postpartum for lots of women is challenging. But for you who has had, I'm not going to call you a model, but lots of photos out there of yeah. your super hot Chloe bod. Um, how have you found the postpartum and looking at yourself having had a baby? Because it's different, isn't it? It's just different. 
you know what? This is where everyone assumes, or I should say presumes, that people like me, who especially work in like a physique element of health and yeah. fitness, and that's what I do, um, are going to be like, oh my God, my body's ruined. And like, I always get this like fitness fanatic. I'm like, I'm not a fanatic. I'm a qualified professional. Stop calling me. I'm like, stop downgrading me. What's so annoying? It's like fitness fanatic you know, must be like, you know, chomping at the bit to get her butt back in the gym. <laughs> her flat pancake pregnancy butt back in the gym. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you couldn't have it the wrong way around. Like I say, like I'm very qualified in what I do. I'm a very experienced professional. I've been doing it for over a decade. There's no way in hell I am running back to the gym when I haven't been given the all player for my physio post C-section to do it. Not only is, you know, do you have to keep an eye on your pelvic floor postnatally, but I started seeing my, my physio at like 32 weeks, I think maybe 34 weeks. Yeah. Um, my pelvic floor, like even though I had a C-section, it's, it still had all that internal pressure throughout my pregnancy. Um, my, my transverse abdominis, my, my linear alba separating, mm-hmm. um, all of my abdominals separating, all of your organs moving, which is your core. Your, major. Yeah. Pretty big. Like just, just that, just being pregnant, like that's your core. That's your biggest stabilizer. And that changes the alignment of your spine and everything. Like this is, this is a, this is a very big change on your body. Um, and then, and then the C-section, which, you know, is, is seven layers of, of cut abdomen. Um, and, and scar tissue is like a really, think of it like, um, like melting ice. It's a weak surface. And, and if I were to go in and put ACKG on my back and try and attempt a squat, I'm fucking with that. Like, and even if it looks like the scar is held on the outside, the internal layers aren't going to be healed for up to a year. So it's like, you know, I'm not running back into the gym because I'm obsessed with how I look to all of a sudden, you know, prolapse after a few months, potentially it could even be a year up to a year while doing a squat. And then, you know, no. So I took my real time with that. I was very patient. And I really, res- as you said in the intro, really respected my body. Mm-hmm. I was doing my pelvic floor exercises, um, you know, before I went into labor, I was doing them after I started doing my transverse abdominus engagement after um, I was going on walks. um, And I was slowly, slowly, slowly increasing the time and the distance that I was walking in the weeks, plural post C-section. I I took it really seriously. And I didn't get the all clear to go back in the gym again until I was 16 weeks. And that's when I went back in the gym again. And that is when I started focusing on what my body looks like, because now it's in my control, what I can do to it. And like, so I think, I think for that whole period of time, I was just focused on my internal um, physicality, but now, yes, I'm not going to lie. Like I just referenced my flat pancake pregnancy mom, my body's changed. I have no glutes and I'm sitting there with my clients on Instagram telling women how to get glutes. Well, I'm fully aware that I'm sitting on a flat butt right now because I lost or your glutes turn off in your pregnancy because of the frontal load of your bump. So it's like, okay, so I have no more glutes and you don't have, I lost five kg of muscle. Like, but before I got pregnant, I weighed five kg more than I weigh now. And that's all my muscle and it's gone. Um, So that's hard. But then, but then you can reframe it and be like, the beauty of this is that I get to start from scratch and I get to re-have that experience and kind of like having a child, you know, I get to re-have this experience that was, was not, was not a first to me and was actually probably getting a bit stale. Um, And you get beginner gains, which is always quite nice in the postpartum for a little boost. Yeah, exactly. Muscle memory is real, you know, the CNS and, and consequently the PNS will come back. But I um, I have to say, though, that m- the one thing that I am a bit worried about long term is like just the skin on my lower belly, which mm. isn't bad. Like, when I stand up, it's fine. It's when I bend over that I'm like, oh, I had a baby. <laughs> oh, I was pregnant. And I am a bit like, is that going to go? Now, I'm not panicked about it. I'm not upset about it. I'm just 
questioning what's going to happen there but I'm giving it a full year to see what happens because I don't know it's so interesting isn't it now I was uh I was a runner I am a runner yeah Um, can I still say that pre pre pre-pregnancy I was marathon running I was racing I was probably the fittest marathon state I'd ever been got pregnant stopped running marathons funnily enough Um, (laughs) and everyone said to me you know you're gonna run those people two weeks after you're gonna be out running with Finley in the brown and I was like am I hell because like you I don't want a prolapse you know six months down the line and and I think it comes down to yes your head might feel ready but your vagina is not <laughs> like that. It just isn't, regardless of what's happened, what type of birth you've had. At six weeks postnatal, you are not ready to start doing an 80 kilo squat or pounding the pavements. Like you you physically aren't, whether you feel it or not. And we are gonna do ourselves more damage. So I really love that point because I think it's something we need to shout about more as we ditch this like snap back, get your body back phenomenon. I always um, feel like, and this is going to sound quite judgmental and this is not meant to sound like that. This is me, my coaching hat on and mm. a bit of tough love. And I think my clients sometimes need real like behavioral analogy or mental health assistance. I'll often refer clients to therapists and sometimes they just need a bit of tough love. And that's not the yeah. rule, but it happens. It's just like, don't be a basic bitch. Don't be one of those women that's like, oh my God, my body, I have to get back. Stop. Take, respect yourself and your intelligence more than that. You are way more than that. Like respect your brain, respect your body, take your time, but quieten down the noise. You are not a part of that hysteria about female body image. Do not buy into it. Do your own thing. And when you're ready and when your body's ready, get back into it. But don't, you know, it's partly, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, but we're partly responsible for this hysteria about body image. The amount of, I have hundreds of clients who come to me like, it's quite hysterical about the fact that they gained a pound overnight, which is obvious that you don't gain a pound of body fat overnight. And I'm like, don't be like this. Like, you are better than this. You're more than this. You know, don't buy into the hysteria. Take your time. Respect your body. If you don't know how to, learn how to and go from there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm sick to death. And it's probably because of what I do for a living. But I'm sick to death of it as someone who works in physique, constantly hearing this kind of like panic about body. It's like you're completely in control of your own body, by the way. <laughs> like you can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's normal that you're still going to look pregnant when you've just had your baby. I feel like often women are really shocked that they've still got a bum. It's like, that's your uterus. It doesn't just disappear. Just I weeks I had my belly like weeks mm. and weeks and weeks and I kept and everyone kept being like oh my went in a week my went in two days my oh, how annoying really quickly yeah and I was like weeks and weeks and weeks I had it that I was like oh my god is this ever gonna go because it was like four weeks in I still had it but um it did but you said that you really missed yours when it went yeah so I was the opposite so whereas you were perhaps like oh where's you know when's this gonna go down I was a little bit the opposite in that my my like pregnant belly if you like went really quickly. Um, I didn't have any stretch marks, which I know some people will be, you know, swearing at me for. Um, <laughs> but actually, uh, I mean, I mean, that's just genetics. There's no magic cream or pill for that. It's genetics. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, whoever's yeah. listening, don't hate me. It was the genes I was given. Um, but I was really, really sad when my linea negra went, you know, the little line that kind of tracks down your tummy in pregnancy, because I then looked at my body and thought, where's the like, where's the sign of having had a baby? Great, I've got a scar on my perineum, but I'm not exactly flaunting that around, am I? So I was like, where's, you know, this amazing journey that my body's been on that I'm immensely proud it's done. Where is the, where's the sign? Where's the, you know, the evidence that it's been on this journey? And I think it comes down to us, and like you were saying about your skin, Chloe, that's like a, a telltale sign perhaps that you've had a baby. Actually, why can't we just be like, I look like I've had a baby because I have, you know, like newsflash. That's what my body's done. So it's going to show some signs of it. 
That's what I mean. It's like what's happened to us? We've been led into believing that we should become hysterical about how we look. And the only way it's going to stop is if every single one of us stops being led into that ridiculous headspace. And like I say, like have some practicality. Be, you know, we talk about, you know, yeah, how women are seen and you know how we're not taken as seriously. It's like, okay, so so front up. Take your body seriously and what it does. And it does far more than what a man's does, by the way. Mm. And respect it. And and like I say, take control of the fact that it's in your control at all times. And you might need some help with coaching. Obviously, that's what I do for a living with therapy. A lot of women do when it comes to food behaviors or whatever. But it's still in your control, all of it. Um, and I love that you saw it like that. I mean, but again, you're a medical professional. So that kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really pleased that you saw it like that. Yes, yeah, so I'm probably, you're right, actually, not, without even realizing, coming at it from a, a different mindset, because that's that's what I do. And, that, and I suppose I see women every day, pregnant and patient bodies are like normal that's to me. so normal to you. Yeah, boobs, I, vaginas, I love- it's all normal. I had a client say to me the other day, like, how do you come to terms with your pregnant body? And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, the best thing out. And I know it's not judgmental. I know that so many women feel like that. But I was like, even to me, I was like, what? Like, I was the most body confident pregnant I've ever been. Yeah, yeah I'm growing a human. Like, my body's yeah. freaking awesome. And it was my baby. I don't know that sounds like, you know, obviously, but it was like, I was like, this is my thing. And here it is. And I just, it was just cool. I just loved it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Like even as a midwife, you know, I've supported many pregnant women. I'm still like, wow, our bodies can do what? Like that's amazing. Mad. Mad. Okay. Moving away from physical, Chloe, emotional challenges in the postpartum and specifically with relationships, because I think that can be a real shift up when you have a baby. Everything changes, priorities change, lifestyle change. Have you, how have you found this journey? Has it been smooth sailing or have there been a few little bumps? No, you know what's really so like I say, James, James is a busy man. And and I knew that he was gonna take some time off when Bodhi first came. And he took more than enough. Like he took like at least I would say four weeks to kind of just bum around nice. the house. Like he still did bits and bobs, but nothing like, you know, he wasn't gone for the whole day or the whole night or whatever. Um, and I knew that that period would end and I knew that he would go back to work. And I obviously I hear a lot of women talking about how they kind of have this unavoidable resentment for their partner mm. when their partner resumes their work and they don't and actually funny enough I was so I think I'd heard that so credit to those women for talking about it I think I'd heard it that it made me prepare for it and this is why it's good yeah. to talk honestly about your experiences mm-hmm. um so I was kind of mentally prepared for that and I was forgiving of him right off the bat when he and James when I say he's busy I mean like he maybe is home three nights a week and he works seven days a week and mm-hmm. and like I say after he does a lot of DJing and after dinner speaking all around the country in fact all around the world and he's gone a lot so I was kind of really prepared for it and happy that we'd moved back to London and everything. But it is absolutely, especially months four and five, where Bodhi kind of stopped sleeping. Yeah. And she became very clingy to me. And in a way, I half liked it. I half liked it. And I, I think we talked about this last time. I think maybe like it's okay if you quite like that your child is codependent on you for a period. You mm. just have to, you know, obviously make sure that you don't indulge it too much or then you're in hell. Um, but she was quite clingy to me and I quite liked it. So because she was clear, James would be like, let's just put her in our own room early. And I'd be like, absolutely not. And Bodhi, really, she's overdue. She's a very big, healthy, heavy baby. She probably was ready. And I was like, absolutely not. When I probably could have. And I kind of knew that I could have. And so he was a bit like, okay, this, you know, and I think, 
I think what, what it meant was that both of our sleep started to suffer. He still was very busy with work. I'm now very busy with work as well. And our relationship just kind of became this, like, we've got to get through this part as opposed yeah. to anything better than that. That was it. We've just got to get through this part. And now we're through it. And we're in month six and, and Bodhi's a lot better. And she's, God, I mean, just in terms of her developmental like responses has just gone leaps and bounds in a matter of weeks. And James and my relationship is back to its good old healthy self. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not naive. I know this is going to go like this, a whole, a whole parenthood journey, but yeah, it does impact your relationship and it's naive to think that it won't. And I'm just really happy that James and I have made it through that period because it was hard. And there were definitely arguments where I was like, I need you to, you know, it's a weekend and, you know, I, on a Sunday, for example, like I need you to be here and he'd be like, you know that I'm working. And and that was just born more out of kind of sheer exhaustion and needing the help, which is why I ended up getting a part-time nanny. Um, but you figure it out. Like I say, you figure it out as you go and you you go from step to step and you have to be very patient with each other and, and very patient with the journey. Um because there's always a solution to a problem that is even if you don't know what it is at that point it will come um so yeah we're doing really good now thank god (laughs) (laughs) and it's going to be tough isn't it because you know and and especially if i think of james specifically you know he's he's an athlete and athletes by default have to have an element of being selfish right because otherwise he wouldn't get to the level he's got to so to then all of a sudden not be the priority in the household is probably yeah. really, really tough. And then tough for all of you because it's a completely different dynamic. Yeah. And I think it's where it's, again, so important we normalize this, so important we have, we're able to have that communication with our, whoever you live with, or whoever is your support network to actually be like, okay, today I'm finding this really, really tough. And I need either you to do this or or like you guys have in your dynamic, let's get some help in from outside if that's not a solution. Because motherhood was not meant to be done on our own. No, no. And I, and that's it. You know, you do really need to find people. And and thank like credit to my parents as well. Like not in terms of they don't take Bodhi, they don't babysit her or anything like that. But just being able, like I said, to go to their house whenever I want, sit down and just be like, Oh, and have company and have know that Bodhi's looked after if I walk out the room for a minute to go make a piece of toast just know that and, and and that's how it should be and like you say like we weren't meant to do this on our own and you do really need to if you're in a, in a struggle situation like I was when I was pregnant need to really start to have a think now and scramble how you're going to do that because it like I say just being able to have a shower like without hearing a baby scream or having to watch a baby or a monitor or whatever is is such a luxury um and it yeah and and but you know James and I, we are the good, the really good thing about us, both of us, is that we're both incredibly tenacious people. So we hold on. Like we don't, you know, we don't, we don't have a complete, you know, whoopee and 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 give up ever. So we just we were just like, right, this is it was a really tough two months. It's hard. Um, we've come out the other side of it. And like I say, we know that it's probably gonna happen again at some point. Um, so I think also having that conversation with your partner about like it's a lot of people said to me, like, when you fight in the dead of night, don't take the word seriously. James and I actually never did. We never had the fight in the middle of the night, but we didn't take the time period seriously. We knew it was temporary. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think everyone goes through it in a different way. Oh, for sure. We're only humans. And when we are at like the the physical limit, we are having the least sleep we've probably ever had. And it's relentless. Like there's no end point. I remember thinking I'll be fine with the sleep deprivation because I regularly do four night shifts on the go and I don't really sleep in the day and I feel great and I keep going and I just have a coffee. But what I forgot or overlooked was at the end of those four night shifts, I then have a break. (laughs) And there is no break when it comes to having a baby, which is 
which is really tough. And I just wanted to ask you one last thing before I ask you for some top tips, Chloe. And that is around now, perhaps that you're in this this shift where actually you're managing to carve out a little bit more time for yourself um, to support your mental and physical well-being, and, and just getting back into your rhythm of being Chloe and not just being Bodie's mum. How mm. have you found that? Has that been a tough transition? Have you managed to find those bits of time, or early on was that a real hurdle? So, and so initially I was like, I need to get back to work. Like I, I'm really driven by work and I'm really, I'm like quite fiercely independent in every element. Like I'm financially very independent. I'm, you know, um, I guess behaviorally very independent. And I was just like, I think by week eight, I was like, I need to get back into work now. And I did, um, at first made the huge mistake of thinking because I work from home, I can work with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like how Pip just said, you get a break. You don't get there is no time and this was of course Bodhi was only eight so there weren't it wasn't any semblance of daytime naps or anything which even now would it would still be really hard even with the daytime naps yeah and I realized after a few weeks of absolute hell of juggling work and being a mom at home I was like I need we need to get a part-time nanny I say part-time because a finances oh my god childcare is so expensive, so expensive yeah so expensive, but also because I I wasn't ready and I'm still not ready to transition mm-hmm. to like buy Bodhi five days a week for however yeah. many hours so so I was like, so okay. And that having that conversation with James, I think he was really relieved and happy um, that I was bringing that to his door. He was like, I'll pay for it, let's do it. <laughs> like, Please help yourself, sister. So um, so, so I got back to work. And I'll be honest with you, it's equal parts. I'm happy because I feel like I've got my character back. I feel like I've got my my purpose back. And also hard really hard what I do for a living is I help women all day every day in the specific context that I do and on the days where I'm trying to do that and I have Bodhi crying and she needs me you do get a little bit of compassion fatigue and you do I do have to step away from work for a few hours because it it gets quite hard when I'm like this person really needs me right now and this is really important and you know, and it's and so so I've realized that on the days where I don't have help, I can't work. I'm not good at my job. I'm not, it's that simple. I'm not good at my job. I'm Bodhi's mother. Um, and if anyone has figured out how to do both simultaneously, please tell me because I do not know yet. Um, but on the days where she's with childcare, I love it. It's the biggest godsend in the world. This is what I do. I love talking about what I do. I love my clients. Um, and I I love the fact that I'm back to work and giving it a hundred percent again. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. And oh my God, that juggle, Chloe, that juggle, I feel you. I feel you. I am with you. It's horrendous. It's really hard. Some weeks I'm like, uh, how is this even going to happen? I don't understand how we're going to fit all this in. Um, and it is tough, isn't it? But I think what we need to remind ourselves when we feel that that little bit of guilt as we wave them goodbye and they go off to their childcare is that by us having that time, it allows us when we are back together to be that, that patient, that really present, engaging, that parent that we want to be. Whereas when we are constantly like, right, trying to, you know, play with this toy, let me just send this email, let me just do that. We aren't (laughs) any of that. We're not giving them that quality time with ourselves. So sometimes it's like, okay, this is really hard, but but actually look at all the benefits that are coming from it and giving ourselves a bit of a break. A hundred percent. And that's what I mean, I'm as well, like it works both ways. It works as a coach. I'm not a good coach when I have to take care of Bodhi. I'm not a good mother to Bodhi when I have to coach my clients. 
you can't have it all. And this is what I realized that you you just can't have it all. Um, well, you maybe you can, but not all at the same time. Um, and so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You know, and you realize when you've been sat on your laptop for an hour and your baby, specifically mine, is in front of finding Nemo, you're like, what am I even giving you right now? This is awful. Like, so yeah, you have to realize you can't have it all and pick and choose. Scheduling is gonna be your best friend <laughs> if you're boundaries pregnant. and but actually the, the good thing about that is Finley can make a cracking fish noise. So thanks, my Janine. <laughs> this is the judgment-free zone, right? Um <laughs> Chloe, can I ask you to finish us off with three top tips for any new or expectant mummies listening? Okay. Um, oh, okay. For any new, for expectant, oh gosh. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, you okay. can choose one or the other if you want. There's no rules. Okay. Uh, expectant mothers, even if you're not planning a C-section, mm. if it happens, please go and get the C-section pants. They're these gray, scratchy, high-waisted pants. And I found them four weeks too late. And even then they still saved me. But before that, oh my God, it was hell. Everything rolls down and rubs oh, against your yeah. It's really uncomfortable. And I just look back now and I'm like, because I wasn't expecting the C-section yet. And I had my I had my postnatal pants, you know, that for all the other stuff that happens. But I wish I'd known about the C-section pants. So just there's a really practical tip for, mm-hmm. for everyone, even if you're not expecting a C-section, it might happen. Um and then for any new mums out there, honestly, I would say from eight weeks finding Nemo, and I say this all the time, from eight weeks old, and so far I would say about 20 of, of my followers have come back to me like, oh my God, thank you. And 20 <laughs> is a brilliant number to help. So finding Nemo from about eight weeks-ish, Bodie was riveted. I can put her in front of it, like I just said, for anywhere between really like half an hour to an hour before she has a, a rumble in the jungle and I have to go to her. Um, but there's something about the fish and the colours. She's obsessed with it. And it is literally going to be on your best friend. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, talking more, ditching that mum girl. Chloe, thank you so, so much. I am very grateful to have you, not just once, but secretly twice, um, stealing you away from everything to chat. Big thank you. Thank you, guys. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.